Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Very excited, Rob. Yeah. Very excited for about which Cold part? War Psychic Spies. What are, you, are you more excited for the Cold War Psychics or Spies? Ooh. <laughs> I'd have to say... Pick your fighter. Psychics, but I've always been a big fan of the Spy Museum in D.C. Museum? You just said museum. Oh, no, we're not doing this. The Spy what Museum? It? No, stop Super saying cool. museum. That is incorrect. It is museum. museum. Is that a lo- I will local fight thing? someone. Is that an Ryan, Shore thing? I think it's no, like a something... Baltimore. Ryan yeah, says Baltimore. museum. I hate it. It's I hate definitely it. a Baltimore thing. Triggered. I was born in Baltimore. Were you? Yeah. Hmm. What? Well, you learned how to say mu- museum there. I guess so. I learned <laughs> to say some other things there, too. I was born in Baltimore, too, and I say museum. <laughs> Thank God that you're normal. See, yeah. you're the exception that proves the rule. For roughly 20 years, the United States government, in the form of the Central Intelligence Agency and the military, endorsed the reality of -of out-of-body experiences and psychic visions. They developed counterintelligence measures to combat Soviet psychic spies, and developed their own program for remote viewing, a technique for extending the mind beyond the limits of the physical senses to see faraway places, like military bases, crash sites, and nuclear submarines. Today, in the last installment of our Magical Warfare series, we're talking the Cold War's Psychic Spies. Is that copyrighted? No, I was just humming. She I just made it up. That That's myself. her own song. Oh my god, TM. that was so good. I TM. did TM. <laughs> you TM'd! <laughs> That's like the metal riff, except... For spies. It's like borderline Batman. It's less than 30 seconds, so even if it does appear elsewhere, I think we're covered. (laughs) My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors and doctor of psychic things. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) I know it's weird. It's really weird. Psychic and occult things. Sure. But not <laughs> spies. I'm not a doctor of spies. What What about psychics are you a doctor well, They're of? like mediums. I studied mediums. Yeah, you're right. They're like psychics. They... I'm just making sure you, you back up your criteria. Mediums are first <laughs> psychics and then mediums. So that's like the weaker of the two powers. Cause... Is this what you learned? Yeah, your, that's what they said. Your yeah, degree? That, okay. According to them. All right. I haven't proven or disproven that as a okay. theory. This is Olivia. I just thought we would Interrogating check. me. <laughs> it's a spy episode. Oh, that's so true. Feeling you're, spot, very... you're feeling inquisitive. Yeah, I'm interrogating you. <laughs> Lithia Literal is our uh, master, grand master. I am all of your master. Bow down. Hi. All right. Uh, James Caplange is across the way here, who says museum. I, I, I say museum. But, but... I can't. I can't right now. Apparently it's a museum, and I'm thinking about changing it because Olivia just keeps staring at me with hateful eyes. I'm not. Yeah, I'm captain of the table. Yes, table captain. Yes. Not in museums. Yeah. And Savannah Verrett is here because we're talking about the Cold War, and who again ended the Cold War? Uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Q. Reagan. Uh, but I'm only here because of that, not because you guys like me. <laughs> <laughs> But um, we like you, yeah, but sure. we, we like the yeah. thematic connections better. Well, okay. <laughs> but actually, speaking of Ronald Reagan, yes. I have something that I need to share with you guys, because I'm a little scared, but I think 
it'll be okay if okay. I talk to you guys about it. Fair so enough. So the other day, I was walking down the road, and a man, a very, very tall man, very pale, dressed in all black, came up to me and handed me this tape recorder that I'm holding here in my hand. Oh. <laughs> did oh. this really happen? Yes, it did. This you met wild. a man in black? Oh, a man. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that man in black. And he handed me this recording, and I went home, and I listened to it, and it's mind-blowing, guys. Are our confessors going to die if they hear this? Like the No, ring? I'm sure it's people? just me that's going to die. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we're, okay. All right, well, don't worry, but then, you confessors. You can this. hear this. It's probably pertinent to today's information, go so ahead. here we go. Okay. All of the birds died in 1986 due to Reagan killing them and replacing them with spies that are now watching us. The birds work for the bourgeoisie. And that was the whole message. <laughs> Everything I've been trying to say on this podcast is slowly going to make sense. But the bourgeoisie, like, that's not aiming very high. <laughs> We're starting like at communist standards. Yeah, like, that's like bourgeoisie. If you went to private school, you know all the birds are fake. <laughs> what? <laughs> Didn't you go to private school? Yeah, I never learned that. I what? went to private school at one point. I don't... No, we, the members of the secret <laughs> order of alchemical actors, actors, do, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. A number of our listeners just went, whew, I'm glad that's over. They were just waiting for me to do that. Sorry, I know it was abrupt. Get your reviews ready. <laughs> oh, can I not say that? I needed it. Oh, okay. No, I've had enough of that now. I'm just trying to help raise ratings with these unbelievable <laughs> conspiracy things. Uh, no, it oh. was given to me by the men in black. Obviously, he it's was real. pale. <laughs> We've got people listening right now who are starting to get panicked. All right, so looking at the bird out Alien the window. Alien hybrids are out there. All right, we are not that podcast. Those podcasts. Let's talk about our sources today because we have those. Because <laughs> we're not one of those podcasts. And our sources, I guess, must now include a man in black. Yeah, we have <laughs> or, to source that. Or YouTube. That tape. Joseph oh, McMonagall's Mind Trek. F. Holmes Atwater's Captain of My Ship, Master of My Soul. Oh. Jim Schnabel's Remote Viewers, The Secret History of America's Psychic Spies. So those are our main sources for today. Uh, I did collect as many books as I could from actual Cold War psychic spies, and all of these books, uh, except for Schnabel's, are by actual Cold War psychic spies. Schnabel isn't a... He doesn't have the name for it. He's a, he's like a journalist. <laughs> yeah, he definitely yeah, yeah, has yeah. a journalist name. <laughs> F. Holmes Atwater, right? Like, there's a That's guy a who, worked, name, yeah. who worked in uh, Secret Ops. There okay, let's talk... Uh, oh, we're in the plugs, by the way. Plug, plug, plug! That was late. Well, you didn't. You literally just told yeah, me we didn't were in the plugs because we were talking about birds. I was all thrown off. Let's talk about our Patreon. <laughs> Maybe that Wait. was a plug. <laughs> the Men in Black. The sources count as a plug. We're, okay, so let's talk about our Patreon. We want to thank Nicholas F for joining us on Patreon. Thanks, man. Thanks, yeah. Nicholas. Thank you. Watch uh, out for those birds. <laughs> They're not real, evidently. <laughs> So don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, and now Jenica C also joined us on Patreon, but uh, I've got to go a little bit further uh, with Jenica here because she Jenica. also she also connected with us on Instagram. Now Olivia, oh, I'm going to yeah. you know, toss this over to you here because she gave us an update on reptilians that I just want to s- slide on into our three plugs today. She said, uh, or she sent us an article. Apparently, a man who belonged to a cult that believed in reptilian apocalypse committed suicide. By giving his girlfriend a loaded gun, pointing it at himself, 
and then pulling the trigger. Olivia, we're going we're gonna to tease our audience here. We're going to let Olivia respond to this at the end of the episode. I'm going to tease you. I just want to plug uh, today's voice impersonators, our alchemical actors, uh, Brandon Walls and Sean Priest. We usually talk about them at the end of the episode, but I need to point out, because some of the people who will be impersonating today are alive, that they are our actors playing them. They're not actually the people. Oh. We always do that. But usually everybody's dead, so we don't have to tell you that. <laughs> oh, it, you know? it's like, yeah. But now we have to say it because people are alive. Guess we do cover a lot of old shit. <laughs> Everyone's dead. Can I say this? That's a way to say it, yeah. Well, anyway. Let's get started. Ingo Swan was an artist who had first made contact with the scientists Harold Puthoff and Russell Targ at the CIA-backed Stanford Research Institute in 1972 also known as SRI. Those names are all ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You and the names. Tell me those names do not sound fake. He'd impressed Putoff by altering the output on a magnetometer buried inside a concrete wall, which uh, he did by attempting to get a psychic grip on it. (laughs) What is the sentence? But he did it. Okay, so Ingo Swan goes to the CIA. (laughs) Tell me that name just... (laughs) He's a psychic artist. What else do you want his name to be? He changed his name. That's all I want to know. So he goes to the CIA's SRI, uh, back, the CIA-backed SRI, and he makes this magnetometer buried inside a concrete... Oh, well. Did I say wall? It's in yeah, a well. Yeah. He makes it move using his psychic grip. But what is a magnetometer? I imagine it measures, measures magnetic things. How far are we talking that it moved? Like... Across the room, or like it I think he shook. moved, it's like a dial. He moved the dial on the magnetometer. Oh. Yeah. So he'd served in the Korean War, and after, Ingo did, and after leaving the army, see, he's a veteran. <laughs> Be nice to him. He moved to Greenwich Village, where he began earning his living as a subject in parapsychology experiments. Oh. Yeah. So he made his money going around, you know, trying to guess the symbols on cards. Oh, like in Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like in Ghostbusters. His work in the SRI lab wasn't especially fruitful at first. He hated Targ's light bulb machine, comparing it to the early card-guessing experiments popularized at Duke University by J.B. Ryan in the 1930s, and by this we're talking about the... Ghostbusters? The, yeah, the Ghostbusters stuff, yeah. <laughs> so, the SR, so that was all, that's all real, by the way, yeah. Most of Ghostbusters is actually based, at least loosely, on actual stuff. Wow. I mean, not Marshmallow Man and stuff. (laughs) Anyway. The SRI lab was interested in developing a way to use psychics for long-distance spy operations. Was that their main objective? Yeah. Cool. It's not anymore. It's still there. The SRI lab is still there, and they do a lot of um, cyber warfare and that kind of stuff. Hmm. Is this... This might... Never mind. This is off question. Uh, What's interesting... well, we'll go into it. Well, let's just do this right now. So what's interesting, actually, is that both the SRI lab and the NSA, the NSA is located, do you know where the NSA is located? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's uh, right down Route 50 there. It's in, on, It's in Fort Meade. It's in Fort Meade. Really? In Maryland, yeah. Yeah, it's in the state of Maryland. Oh. Yeah, all of our cyber warfare is conducted from, like, right, right, right across the bridge. <laughs> across the pond. <laughs> yeah, across the, across the bay. Um, so both of those sites where we're conducting cyber warfare now and experimenting on cyber things... Were, are the sites of the things we're going to talk about today. Oh my god, that's They were really where weird. we, they were the centers of psychic warfare in the Whoa. 1970s and 80s. Is this, so is this around the time then that U.S. is like doing like all the 
LSD. Mm-hmm. Like okay. this is the MK all Ultra the, days right. as well. The yeah. Stranger mm-hmm. Things things. It's sort of lingering yeah. after the M- but yeah, it's all in the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The CIA is doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So let's get back to Hal, who's not involved in MK Ultra. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he had started psi experimentation at Stanford when he'd earned his PhD. Both uh, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ were laser physicists. There it is. Putoff had a patent on a tunable infrared laser, and Targ had worked in the research laboratories at Sylvania, which is the company that makes light bulbs. Hmm. Putoff had come to Psy out of an interest in the intersection between psychic ability and quantum theory. See our episode on... Quantum consciousness, I guess. You're up for that one. Yeah, that's okay. <clears throat> uh, it's a few seasons back. Some people, many, well, anyway. People have been through it. They've enjoyed already. I'm sure. It's just, right. it's a lot. Targ's early contribution as Pudov's assistant was his ESP machine, his light bulb machine. And uh, test subjects were asked to guess which of four hidden light bulbs, which were lighting up slides of artwork, were being illuminated. So Swan was highly successful at a technique he established for doing what the CIA had wanted all along, viewing remote targets otherwise difficult for traditional intelligence sources to investigate. Swan discovered that hearing the name of a site caused his imagination to intervene too much in the work, though. So if you asked him to see an Air Force base, for example, he would start imagining airplanes and hangars, rather than actually tuning in to the psychic vibration and getting real psychic impressions. You see what I mean? That makes sense. So we needed to find a way to get him to hone in on the location and do this remote viewing without telling him what the location was because that would get his, you know, imagination intervening rather than his psychic sense picking up on what it's supposed to be. Wow. You get the problem? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is what Swan came up with. He suggested that Targan Putov instead give him geographical coordinates to remote view. So they would give precise coordinates and just hand them to him. Those are just numbers on a page. Mm-hmm. They don't have any associations, right? And then he would go to work. So Putoff and Targ went to a large world map. They picked out coordinates and brought them to Swan to tell him what was there. Swan had two minutes to respond. So they would give him a set of coordinates. They would give him two minutes, and then they'd move on to the next set and compare based on the geography to see if Swan was correct. So they're just doing this now with a map. Right. Are the, how how is his impression relate to where the map says we are? He two sees, minutes? huh? I was just thinking, two minutes doesn't sound like a whole lot of time to do that. I think in part, I mean, it's like surrealist poetry. The goal is to not think too much. Right. Uh, so to keep sense. you moving. This was also an experiment. Yeah. Not like how they're going about receiving this information. Mm. Right. So scientifically, we want as much data as possible. So running through it quickly helps with that as well. So he'd see ice in Greenland, he'd see sand in North Africa, beaches in Aruba, whatever. After 10 days and 100 coordinates, Swan was having an unusual amount of success, and Targan Putov wondered if he might have memorized an atlas. Do you know what his success rate was? Uh, oh, they didn't list his success rate. Was it, like, more good than bad, I guess? Like, did he... I, I'm just wondering. I guess you don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it was north of 50%, but it doesn't need to be because the odds of you guessing correctly are pretty Or getting better at it right? without, like they said, memorizing an atlas and just being like, oh, it sounds like the Sahara, but desert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Argentina? (laughs) I want a bar graph. Is that the graph I want, James? I don't know. Your tutor. I don't know. You got to know what kind of graph you want. I don't know what anything. 
Okay. Let's get to the CIA. So Targ and Putoff are like watching Swan do pretty well at guessing where these coordinates are. So they call up the CIA, like you can do if you're at Stanford. An agent who will call Bob. We have to call him Bob because uh, my secret? well, my sources here don't actually name him. Yeah, they give him a false name. Secret. Because he's CIA. So an agent will call Bob gave Swan the coordinates of a site that he got from his friend, who will call Dave. <laughs> Bob didn't know himself what was at Dave's coordinates. Got me so far? Mm-hmm. But probably something important. Yes. So I, I, it's like if I went to James and I was like, give me the coordinates of some place that you know about that I don't know about. Oh, okay. And then I'm going to pass them to Olivia, who's yeah. going to remote view those coordinates. Yeah. Got me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, Swan got the impression of a military base with missiles <gasps> and something underground. <gasps> something. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just getting excited. Something shaped like a flagpole and something large and circular. They also enlisted the help of psychic Pat Price. Uh, They gave him the coordinates, and Price was one of the most gifted psychics at SRI. He brought back this description. Oh, this is a different guy. Yeah, so we've got Swan doing this, and Swan gets all these impressions, and then they've got multiple psychics because it's the Stanford Research Institute, and they got psychics just, you know, in drawers. Is Price, like, a veteran of this place? Like, is he good? Price has been around, yeah, and he Price is one of, like, two or three guys who are... The best of the best. Okay, so let's hear a little bit from Price. I perceive that there's a peak area that has a large underground storage area. There's a road that comes up the backside of the mountains on the western slopes, fairly well concealed and deliberately so. It's cut under trees where possible. It'd be very hard to detect if you were flying over the area. It looks like a former missile site. The bases for launchers are still there, but the area now houses record storage areas like microfilm and other filing cabinets. As you go through the underground area through the aluminum rolled up doors, the forest area are filled with those records. The temperature is cool and it's fluorescent lighted. Personnel Army 5th Corp Engineer Major Sergeant Long on the desk placard on a gray steel desk. So that's the level of detail that Price provided. I mean, that's a direct quote of the kind of information that Targ and Putoff received from this guy. So Swan got this sort of like broad sense of things, but Price was super good. It was like he was sitting in this room seeing all this stuff. Mm. All right, so let me go back to Bob and Dave. Remember Bob and Dave? Yeah. CIA agents? Yes. Okay. I would watch their sitcom. So Bob brought the description to Dave, who laughed at him and told him that the coordinates mapped to his summer cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Dave played a trick on him. Yeah, Dave got him. The psychics had failed spectacularly. But Bob was curious that both Swan and Price, separately, had conjured images of a similar location. So he started asking around about the area to see if there was something hidden in the Blue Ridge Mountains, right around Dave's summer cabin, that might match the description. Right? Because in the government, nobody talks to each other. So the CIA is not necessarily aware of all of the military's secret research facilities. Everything's on a need-to-know basis, right? Mm. The Pentagon came down on poor Bob like a ton of bricks, accusing him of being a Soviet spy. (gasps) How had he known, they asked him, about the existence of their secret, mostly underground, Navy communications base? He had a hard time convincing them, although ultimately he did, that he'd gotten the information from a pair of psychics. Wow. Can you imagine being Bob? No. No. That sounds awful. (laughs) Yeah, here comes this general calling you a Soviet spy, and you're like, no, it was the psychics. (laughs) 
Dave is just like, oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dave's like, oh man. <laughs> Dave is not making eye contact with Bob for, yeah. for a little while. Dave's trying to keep his job. In May 1978, Putoff got a fax from the military. So back at the SRI lab, we're getting a fax. They were looking for a Soviet Turpolev 22 bomber that had gone down somewhere in Zaire. America hoped to get their hands on the wreckage to sift it for valuable information about Z- the Soviet targets. Zaire is a, con- they used to call the D- Democratic Republic of the Congo. Oh, yeah, James is our oh. geography guy. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. The Congo. Okay. We're in Zaire, also known as the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yes. And America's trying to get their hands on this Soviet plane that's gone down there to gather, you know, whatever they can from it. So, spy satellites have failed to detect anything useless. So they call up the SRI. Useful. Useful. You said useless. They failed to find anything useless? Or Or useful. They failed (laughs) in both regards. (laughs) (laughs) So they call up the SRI. uh, And this guy by the name of Gary Langford is working there as one of their psychics pulled him out of the drawer. And he detects a river in a jungle. He sees the plane partially submerged and sketches the location. Dale Graff, who's an Air Force physicist, had formed his own team of remote viewers, and one of his viewers created an overhead sketch that combined with Langford's drawing helped them to locate the aircraft. Jimmy Carter, president at the time, was briefed on the discovery, and he asked them how they got to it so quickly, and when he was told that the military had used psychics, he was like, okay. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Jimmy Carter's, un, he's unflappable. I mean, he was worried about <laughs> other stuff, right? The economy and, yeah, gas prices and stuff, mm. and the fact that he was not going to get reelected. Mm. So remote viewing uh, had achieved a presidential level of acceptance at that point. Oh, man, if only we were there today. Right? We could remote view so many things. Yep. <laughs> I, I have can. a list of things that I want to remote view. I just can't, because Trump says no. Right. So. <laughs> Trump took our psychics. (laughs) It was like the 90s. Then Clinton took our psychics. All right. It could have been Bush. So at the time... Who took our psychics? Well, fine. I've I've written this episode, but I don't remember. So we'll we'll get there at the end. Cool. It's a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be a surprise for everyone, including me. At the time, the Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA, was taking an interest in remote viewing, and the CIA... Central Intelligence Agency, was losing interest. So the military is trying to pick up where the CIA is, lo- is leaving off. Mm-hmm. The CIA believed the results of remote viewing were neither strong nor consistent enough to keep up their relationship with Putoff and Targ and SRI. Super psychics like Pat Price were rare, and so a remote viewing program would require developing ordinary citizens' abilities, which would take years of research. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're only relying on a few guys. We can only remote, remote view so many places we got to create a whole army of remote viewers if we're really going to make this a thing. you got to mass produce it. So it's not going to work out so well. So the CIA is unwilling to invest any further in remote viewing. Luckily, the DIA, the military, is interested in picking right up. And they organized the disparate remote viewing efforts under a single code name, Grill Flame. So there was Dale Graff and the Air Force, and there were these different pockets of remote viewers, and they pulled them all together... Under Grill Flame. Grill Flame. Oh, wow. That's the most American thing I've right? ever heard. Right. Especially the... for the 4th of July, right? Yes. right? This is our 4th of July episode, more or less. Our 5th of July episode. Were they but... all dads? <laughs> they were like, let's get cooking. Uh, they probably were. 
Let's heat things up. Yeah. <laughs> they were mostly dads. So the work was initially labeled Gondola Wish. What are these? <laughs> Which does not sound from... very American. No. I like Gondola Wish. And then they moved it to Grill Flame, and then Center Lane, and then Starburst, and finally Stargate. Those are all the code names for the remote viewing uh... program over the years. Stargate. Starburst. Starburst. <laughs> then they got copyrighted by Starburst, and they yeah. had to change it. Said TM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I don't really know the history of Starburst, so uh, Stargate. So that's canon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've just established it. Now, Cult Confessions has established the official history of Starburst. <laughs> you know, like someone was like, "Let's call it Starburst," and then everyone was like. Gary, shut up. Like, <laughs> you know, like. Because it's the military. He's yeah. like surrounded by five-star generals. And for some reason, yeah. he's in the middle of the table making starburst motions with his hand, making oh, jazz yeah. hands and saying, starburst. I think that the popular name is really Stargate. I think yeah. that's what you would Google if you wanted to Google Once you it. said that, I was like, oh. So Lieutenant F. Holmes Atwater believed that he was personally destined to start a program in remote viewing for the United States military. And in fact, seems like he was. So Atwater had first read about remote viewing in the book Mind Reach, which was written by our SRI scientists, Targum Putov. In 1977, he had just been assigned to the Intelligence Corps when his commanding officer asked him specifically what he'd like to do. He told the lieutenant colonel that he'd like to look into the counterintelligence implications of remote viewing and eventually wound up at Fort Meade in our home state of Maryland. He was assigned a desk that had belonged to a Lieutenant Colonel Sotko and given the first task of cleaning it out. What did he find, Rob? I'm glad you asked, James. <laughs> In his bottom drawer, he discovered three reports issued by the Army Surgeon General, who was apparently at this time was in charge of parapsychology. And these were on Soviet parapsychological research. He just left these in his... Just left them. Okay. So one report estimated that the Soviets were conducting research into telepathy and telekinesis in as many as 20 different facilities at a cost of around $21 million a year. Holy crap. Yeah, the Soviets were way into... Now, we don't know if this was true or not, but the army believed that they were investing $21 million a year into this. So let's talk a little bit about the Soviet experiment, shall we? Okay. Yeah. I need to. I need to warn you. Oh. It's going to get dark really fast with the Soviet experiments. Yeah. Okay. One story told of communication between a submarine and psychics. Soviet parapsychologists bragged of being able to disrupt other psychics' communications, so you could interrupt the remote viewing of other psychics. Psychic war. Yeah. Psychic warfare. Yeah. Didn't something like that happen in a? Previous episode? Was Recently, it... we talked about someone in psychic warfare. Well, was I mean, we just did Dion Fortune. She did psychic warfare. Oh, that's, that's what, what it was. was. She, okay. It was like because they would all sit in the house and like stop people from bombing yeah. their house and stuff. Get that Nazi group mind. Yeah. Oh, that's up. right. They did say that they believe that they helped bring Hitler down, right? So Dion Fortune sets up the sort of precedent for us to conduct psychic, you know, interruptions. <laughs> All right, let's get to the gross stuff. Soviet parapsychologist Eduard Nomov described an experiment involving, none of you are ready for this, bunnies. (gasps) No! The mother rabbit had electrodes implanted into her brain, 
and her babies were taken out to sea and underwater in a submarine while she remained on shore in a lab. At an appointed time, the bunnies' necks were snapped to see if there would be any psychic response in the mother rabbit. They repeated the experiment torturing kittens also with electroshocks. Stop! I'm so, Okay, now we have so to bear sad. a couple of things in mind about this. It is a sensational story. But we are also in a period where villainizing the Soviets is pretty standard. Mm. Well, that is true. So, I mean, the cold dead eyes of Vladimir Putin, like, <laughs> maybe they really are. Maybe the KGB really is this rough, but maybe it's just American imagination about, you know, the enemy. Like, why bunnies and kittens? Right, this is the most incendiary report you could possibly conjure. Like, puppies is the only thing left out I was about to say, puppies here. is too far. Yeah. The public cannot could take not it. not do puppies. Did they figure anything out? A- apparently, they figured out that they should spend $21 million on continuing hmm, these activities. That rabbit was a really good psychic, I guess. <laughs> I was about to say. Another of the reports Atwater found, or so our guy who's founding this defense military program, detailed the work of a project Scanate researching the military uses of remote viewing. This research had been conducted at the SRI, again with Targum Putov, who, as you'll remember, that's how Atwater got into this in the first place, he read their book. So for this guy, he's sitting at this desk, he's reading about these bunny experiments, and he's also got this report from these two guys whose book he read and who he thinks are super cool. He's already their super fan, and their report is right on his desk. So his commanding officer told him that the general in charge, General Ed Thompson, no relation, had been interested... (laughs) There's a lot of Thompsons in the world. Well, Smith. We're second. Um, Had been interested in... Maybe Johnson. So General Ed had been interested in remote viewing and told him to keep the documents on hand. So that's why Sotko hadn't given them away or gotten rid of them or shredded them. It's because Uh, the general in charge was like, no, I think there's something to this. So you keep those. In the bottom drawer. Of your desk that you're going to leave behind. For the next guy. (laughs) Who I'm going to tell to clean out your desk. Who is destined to start this program, we'll find. What if he just missed them? Like, he just, like, didn't clean the desk. <laughs> Got everything but those. There's an alternate universe where that did happen. Yeah. And we wouldn't have this podcast. So. <laughs> right. We wouldn't mm. have this episode, anyway. Mm. Next, the U.S. Army Missile Command at Redstone Arsenal in Alabama requested support from Operation Security, and Atwater joined as the junior member of the team sent to assess their security risks. They conducted their investigation and gave their report. Things like whether it was possible to fake an ID badge and sneak into the site, and whether their NASA display made them vulnerable to intelligence threats masquerading as tourists. Uh, That all sounds probable. Your basic... So this is what they did. They went around and did these. But not against psychic infiltration. No. Okay, now here... This is the interesting thing, James. At the end of the briefing, one of the project managers at the Missile Command... In Alabama. In Alabama, pulled a book out of his bag demanding to know how Operation Security intended to help him against this threat. The book was Mind Reach by our SRI researchers talking about psychics. And the threat was remote viewing by the Soviets. Awesome. So this guy goes on this trip to Alabama to help with these perfectly normal things, like security threats, and while he's there, one of the Alabamians, Alabamians, I don't True. Know. What do you? Anyone? Any guesses? I liked all of them. Those were yeah. all correct. <laughs> I think it should just be Alabamanians. Yeah. But the guy was in the military, so he definitely wasn't from Alabama. He just happened to be there at the time. Right. Anyway, 
he's asking about this stuff. This is wild, like this series of coincidences for this one freaking guy. Right. It's out of this world. He's now come across this problem of remote viewing three times. Once when he's reading before he even gets the job, he gets the job, it's in his bottom drawer, and now this, this guy in Alabama who knows nothing about his bottom drawer is yeah. asking about it. <laughs> who knows nothing about his bottom drawer? <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Uh, Atwater took his story back to his commanding officer, a man named Major Keenan, and he said they needed to get to work on this issue straight away. The only way to assess an intelligence threat under the circumstances was to attempt to breach security at the missile command using remote viewing. So he, he, get this, he gets this request, help me deal with this. And he's like, okay, we'll just psychically infiltrate your suit. Because that's all they were doing, yes. right? Just trying to see how people could infiltrate. So now they're going to attempt to psychically infiltrate the missile command in Alabama. So there were trained remote viewers at Stanford who could have made the attempt, but none of these people had security clearances necessary to determine whether and to what extent the missile command security had been breached. So Makes sense. they didn't have security clearance to psychically... Infiltrate. Yeah, infiltrate. <laughs> so, so, wait, wait. Space. So they were—they didn't have the clearance in case they got information. Like they weren't like supposed to have that information, or, or like, to, or to, or just confirm. to verify. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Atwater told Major Keenan the Army would need to train some of its own remote viewers with the appropriate security clearances to this job, and see to future ones. Keenan was on board, right? Yeah, it's I mean, what else board. are you doing? <laughs> the general's on board, the major's on board, everybody can't wait to have psychics in the army. And so was his commanding officer, a man by the name of General Smith, who approved funding for the project, and it finally received the head, uh, the, the blessing of the top guy, General Thompson, at the Pentagon. Wow. So mm -hmm. he gave him clearance. Yeah. yeah. You knew they were all just saying to each other, well, you know what the Soviets are working on. Right. These bunnies. <laughs> We gotta get in here. <laughs> if they can do it, we should be able to stop it. We gotta get some bunnies. Atwater, it's true. It's true. Yeah, though. It's, true. it's the fear of the Soviets and what they're doing. I mean, we went to the moon for that reason. There was nothing we needed there. Maybe you know, they're going there. We might have went to the moon. Wait, oh, come on. Atwater brought in the scientists Putoff and Targ. They interviewed over a hundred candidates to become remote viewers and narrowed them down to twelve and then six. Many of these remote viewers were photo interpreters who spent their time analyzing photographs of enemy facilities to determine who was in them. This was in part because they had more visual way of experiencing the world and so they were in a better shape to the word view is in remote viewing right, right. Mm -hmm. so these people their job was to look at photographs that satellites had taken and determine if there were security threats there mm. so they're already in this habit now they just have to do it with their psychic sense rather than with their eyes Putoff and Targ believed that there was no real way to train an individual to remote view but rather that they were seeking out a psychic aptitude in these individuals one of the first viewers was this guy, Joseph McMonagle. In fact... Is he a, an evil villain? No, this guy is, like, the best. Oh, his He's name, one of the best. Better than Price? He's up there. He's cool. up there. Yeah, him and Price are up there. He was assigned code number viewer 001. Yeah. What? McMonagall had first developed his psychic capacities after a near-death experience when he collapsed during lunch while stationed in Austria. After this NDE, he developed enhanced psychic abilities and began to have out-of-body experiences. He detailed the process for remote viewing in his book, Mind Trek. So let's hear a little bit from Sean uh, giving us McMonagall's take on remote viewing. The remote viewer stayed at the lab and tried to report on the location of the outbounders. 
The outbounder or target person would use a single nine-sided die to determine a three-digit number. The outbounder team would report to the keeper of the target pool and present the three-digit number. They would be handed the double-wrapped, sealed, and opaque envelope with the identical number and then depart the building, going directly to the parking lot and driving away in any direction, but without opening the envelope. 30 minutes prior to the specified target time, the outbounders would then open the envelope and read the instructions written on the card within. They would arrive at the target as close to the exact time agreed upon as possible. Back at the lab, the interviewer would turn on the tape recorder, start the stopwatch, and simply ask the remote viewer to describe where she or he thought the outbounder was currently located. For 15 minutes, the remote viewer would give a verbal response, which was taped, or draw pictures of what she or he thought the target looked like. Afterward, the remote viewer, outbounder team, and interviewer would travel back to the target and spend 10 or 15 minutes together debriefing the viewer on the target. Yeah, that team, uh, the outbounder team, they were how many people? A few. Okay. Yeah. That answers all my questions. There's a few. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Great. That was the one. Now you know it. Now you're good. Now I'm good. Yeah, I'm all all covered up. An independent group was responsible for actually evaluating whether the remote viewer had successfully described a target. If a remote viewer worked on six targets, the independent judge would rank six packets according to how well they fit each target. What is a packet? Yeah. What do you mean by a packet? So the packet's got your where you're going. Oh. The deets about oh, okay. where you're off to. The goal was to get the correct packet linked as the top choice. You got me? So they ranked them according to... So you would write... So McMonagall writes down, you know, he psychically views, and he writes down all the details, and then they've got these six packets, and they compare his descriptions to the six packets, and they try to figure which ones are oh, which. Oh, okay. And then they rank them according to which one is most like it. So they you wanted them. to get the best matches. Yeah. Okay. So McMonagall described remote viewing as feeling like a feather going across his mind. <laughs> yeah. He started off writing in terms of symbols, learning as he went to interpret the symbols according to what the tar- targets actually were. So, if huh. he drew a triangle every time there was a church steeple, over time he'd realize that a triangle meant a steeple and interpret it that way. That's kind of oh. trancey. Yeah. Like yeah. A little, He's know. learning his own code that That's way. That's kind of cool. Uh, this opened his ability to go deeper and develop more detailed pictures as his skills enhanced. The need for symbols comes down to the fact that our conscious mind does not share a common language with our subconscious mind. Mm. Let's hear McMonagall talk a bit about this. What the mind does is different from what the brain does. The location of mind is not established, only that the brain is required in order to communicate with it. The mind is comfortable in the physical reality as well as the spiritual oblique or non-physical reality. Consciousness is like a sliding glimmer or speck of light that slips and slides throughout both realities. I believe the subconscious is the gateway to the great unknown, that it is the fertile ground from which the psychic information comes. It has access to all knowledge, all realities, all possibilities. The exchange of information between the subconscious and the conscious is the single filter which causes more problems than anything else with regard to understanding psychic information. Why? Because at the very threshold of knowing, communications seem to break down. There is no agreeable language between the consciousness and subconsciousness. No shared or common reference points. So that stuff should sound a little bit like our consciousness discussions from uh, Series 3, which we've already brought up. For good reason, yeah. Right? It's so difficult talking about that stuff, because it just hurts my head. (laughs) But I like it. 
and but it scares me. <laughs> yeah. He's really thinking about consciousness the same way as Myers does from that series, mm. where there's this sort of like dark pool of of understanding, and our consciousness moves through it like a flashlight, illuminating different parts of it, or slips through. Ah. That's what he said. Yeah. Ever yeah, said since elegant. Ever since we've had that um, black pool discussion, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I don't know how to do something, so instead of doing it, I will just like stop <laughs> and like go to sleep or do something else and then come back to it later how's that working out for you sometimes it works good it helped with cthulhu a lot oh there you go <laughs> so. art yeah when you're making art i think it's a very useful tool mm-hmm. or making math yeah i was gonna say math <laughs> <laughs> we don't make that here <laughs> <laughs> so remote viewers are often trained with robert monroe at his monroe institute in virginia oh. monroe hmm? he's got his own you know, institute. Own institute. He was a radio executive who developed audio technology, which he called hemispheric synchronization, that facilitated listeners' ability to have an out-of-body experience. So you put the headphones on you, and this is what he did for McMonagall and a lot of the different guys who were working with the um, DIA, mm-hmm. because, you know, he was in the Blue Ridge Mountains, basically, he was in Virginia, and they're only at Fort Meade, so it's pretty close. Just on the other side of D.C. Right. So he would, they would go down to train their remote viewing senses. So that's the subject of today's brief history. Oh. Ooh, yeah. We're we'll talking We're about here. hemispheric synchronization. He did not pick an easy um, thing to say. I was about to say. <laughs> hemispheric synchronization. He could have shortened that one. If you want to make your psychic craziness sound serious and scientific, use big words. Hemsync. There yeah. we go. Hem- oh, it is Hemsync. You're right. That's already. We're going to get there. Hemisync, oh. actually. Is Hemis- that what they end up saying? Let's bring Brandon on over to do this brief history. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Oh, that was exciting. <laughs> and he's here. Ah, hello. All right. Da, 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 da. Let's get to it. All right. Brief. One direction for the master. This one actually isn't very long, so it is actually a brief history. No, it's fine. Good, because my command is history. (laughs) Together. (laughs) A brief history of hemispheric synchronization. Robert Monroe began his career by designing a flight simulator. His interest in aviation led to the creation of a radio program meant to encourage children to take an interest in airplanes, and he went on to create his own radio production company. I imagine it was like Thomas the Tank Engine, but with airplanes. Yeah, with that airplanes. was a thing. There was a show like but that. This guy. And they were way creepier than Thomas. Those was. things were terrifying. <laughs> yeah. The company developed 28 programs, mostly radio dramas and quiz shows. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> He became increasingly interested in the use of audio to influence consciousness, particularly the use of tapes to learn while sleeping. That that took a very quick turn. That's scary. Yeah. He went from yeah quiz shows to, well, but you know to prepare for a quiz show, yeah. you can yeah. listen to yeah. tapes in your sleep. Hemisync or brain synchronization was his major breakthrough, which he patented in 1975. How do you patent? Damn. 1975. You have to finish the date, Brandon, before you ask a question. Oh, fair enough. <clears throat> 1975. You know it now. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's, how do you patent a... Because it was like a series of tones. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. It was like music. Oh. Right? But, but, you, but not. What you patent is not just the music, but its use. So you patent the whole thing. Oh, I see. Like if you came up with a way to use a light bulb that nobody's done before, you could theoretically really? patent it. Yeah. Or like Velcro that doesn't make noise. Ooh. Did you do that? No, I was in Garden State. Mm-hmm. Made loads of money, fictional money off of that, though. 
Come on, Ben. In a hemi-sync session, patients or clients wear headphones and a series of sounds induce a new pattern of brainwaves, which Monroe believed was the brain producing its own sound or binaural beats. A later study by the SPR comparing electromagnetic to air headphones demonstrated that it's actually the magnetic waves produced by the headphones rather than the sound that causes the change in the person's consciousness. Oh, bummer. Yeah, right. But at least there's still a change in your consciousness. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. The technology has been used for sleep induction as a learning aid and has even been successfully tested as a substitute for fentanyl in surgery. I don't want to get knocked out to just... No, I'd to rather... Beats. To the beats. beats. Yeah. It's probably safer than fentanyl. Maybe, yeah. But you might wake up during surgery. You just go back to the beats, man. <laughs> just They just put the oh headphones God. back on. They're just like, shh, it's okay, it's okay, buddy. It's all right, listen to the beats. <laughs> it is also known to induce altered states of consciousness, and members of Project Stargate, including McMonagall, were sent to the Monroe Institute to enhance their ability to accomplish remote viewing. Nice. And that's a brief history of he- hemispheric synchronization. Yeah, that was pretty brief. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was pretty brief. Nice and brief. Also history. So could you use this to, like, hypnotize someone in theory? Yeah, I think so, in theory. You... But it really w- was used by these guys to pop out of their bodies and float around some spaces. Or to make it easier for them to do it. It just seems like that yeah, could be so easily... Yeah, but they would do easily... it while they were at the Institute. Oh. Couldn't yeah. that so easily be misused? If it fell so into many the things wrong could. hands. So many things could be misused. Like, a fire extinguisher could very easily be misused. I'm just thinking about, like, MK Ultra. Low Go on. Key. So and just you, how oh for like to like control I mean, the those, masses. Those people at first didn't know that they were gonna get fucked. So you could, you <laughs> you could hemi sync someone. I'm just wondering if like people could have been doing stuff to these people and they wouldn't even know. Well, let me ask you this, Rob. Is this uh, something that's like ready available? Like, can I? I have not tried to get find... this, but I bet you could. I bet As a you scholar, could maybe it down. You could? If it's patented, like if, if they it's patented, patented, yeah, you, you might could probably be. pay a few bucks and get a hemi-sync tape. There might be newer versions of it. They'll send you a cassette though, because it's from the '70s. Well, then I need to buy. They'll send you an eight-track. There might be a newer version. <laughs> I want to download a wave file. They got that on <laughs> MP3. Download like... a wave file. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, Atwater prepared a report on the question of defensive strategies against Soviet psychic spies. So now we're getting to defense, inter-spy conflict. He argued that the Soviets were in the habit of giving gifts to Americans, and that the gifts could be used by remote viewers as a target to focus in on to discover what else might be around the target. It's a bad habit. Oh! (laughs) So in other words... Oh, like they give them gifts that are actually, like... Well then, so, let's say you're a Soviet... And I'm like, hey, Olivia. Yeah. Comrade. Comrade Olivia. <laughs> I am a Soviet, I would call yes. her, co- I'm an American. Uh, and I would be like, I, on behalf of the people of Georgia, I give you this golden peach statue. And then you take it home and put it in your like. Oh, Georgia's the state, not Georgia the country that is. Oh, the do they have peaches there? Because it could be both. And I'm like, honey, I don't know <laughs> where That does Georgia make good sense. Is, though, yeah, so okay. Anyway, but I'm an American. We have this cool so statue from, in our okay. living room yeah. now. Now you have that statue, and in your living room you discuss secret, secret Soviet things. There's no way that this statue could have recording devices from Americans. It doesn't or even need psychic to. devices. Uh, it <laughs> is a psychic device because then I would go to Savannah, my psychic, and yeah. I would say, "Psychic Savannah, yeah, I want you to focus in on a golden peach." Got it. Mm. Already did. Wow. And she's in your room, and she's watching and seeing everything you do. Yep. But, but these are mundane items. They're not ordained in any special way. They're, they're, but they're yes, they're unique yes. in the way that they can be I see located. what you mean, yeah. yeah okay. they're, they're like special gifty things. 
But yes, they're totally physical objects. So it just like doesn't even matter what it is. They can just use anything. As long as the psychic knows what it is, they can hone in on it theoretically. Okay. And see what's in the environment. There's only one golden peach in the world, and it's in your I guess, living room. I guess that's what I was yeah. going to counter is if I it's would engrave just, it with your name, Comrade Olivia. If it's just like normal objects that could be copied, you know what I mean? I guess that's why I'm wondering if it's like a specific thing. Yeah, it is. It has to be a specific thing. Because I couldn't just be like, Savannah, focus on his borscht. Is there a tea on borscht? Like, I, don't I don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's a it's thing like that potato I'm just like, what if there's like 10 other houses Focus that have on his peach, liquor gold peach statues? It's so specific that it helps the psychic's mind attune to the area. Okay. How many people do you know have a golden yeah, peach? I don't know what people in Georgia are doing. <laughs> I'm well, in Soviet. She's, she's in Russia. She's I'm in Russia. Russia. Yeah. Not jo- Georgia. I'm in Soviet. I don't know what Georgia is. All right. Here was his other suggestion. He said, if the Soviets give you gifts... So that they don't do the same thing, stick it in the garage. They can't get to the garage. Well, they can get to the garage, <laughs> no, but nothing's happening. You don't have any like, talks in the garage. Toss it into the sea or something. Like, why do you need There's to even keep it at all? We will listen to the fish tell their secrets. Because when the Soviets come over for dinner and they're like, hey, where's that nice golden potato oh, we see. gave you? That we're definitely not using to psychically You have to be like, I tossed it into the sea. <laughs> See, I didn't realize, Which I guess awkward. I don't know history very well, but apparently we just had dinner with the Soviets during the Cold War. Just yeah, well, like, well, it's like diplomats and stuff, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The people that are worth listening to <laughs> <It's> probably <awkward>. are. <laughs> like, if you got my kid a gift and you came over for dinner and you're like, so how's she liking that gift, that book I got her? And I'm like, I tossed it into the sea. They're using human nature and, like, politeness against you. Right, yeah. That's... And they're just like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> We should fish that out of the ocean. <laughs> we, we always toss your gifts into the sea as well. <laughs> we could just say that it's like an American tradition. We throw everything that we love into the sea. <laughs> oh boy, I think they might see through that. Okay. Oh man. He also suggested putting unusual objects inside potential targets to throw off remote viewers. Wait. Wait. I didn't even hear what? any of that. Okay, so. It goes like this. If a review of a remote viewer was attempting to view, let's say, a missile silo, and uh, James is the colonel in charge of the missile silo, and I'm I'm Atwater, and I go to him, and I'm like, there are probably Soviets trying to psychically view your missile silo, so here's what you're going to do. I'm going to put a bunch of random shit everywhere. You're going to put up a bouncy castle right yeah. in the middle of your silo. So then <laughs> Olivia, comrade Olivia of the Soviet Psychic Spy Force, yeah. KGB, Starts to remote view the missile silo, and she's like, "There's a bouncy house." <laughs> there's a bouncy me, castle in the middle of this, and yeah, like her boss is like, "No, there's not." It's, there's a clown passing by. You damn psychics! Are you full of nonsense? This We're is nonsense. Carnival. So, Olivia herself would be like, "Oh yeah, I've probably screwed this up." Yeah, so I'm you win. The missile silo remains secret because of the bouncy house. That's so fun. We and can't you know- see through. The bouncy house? You can no, see you, it. You can see it. It's not that the bouncy it's not the bouncy castle's not in your way. The fact that you're seeing it at all makes you feel like you're not actually seeing what you're supposed to be yeah. seeing. It, make, it makes silo. you less credible. Yeah. If there's a clown just sitting by the missile. You're if like, you, oh like, no, that's wrong. I'm probably it, at the circus here. Could you get to anyway? You know what I mean? Can you, you would doubt your impression illusion? right away, though. And other people who hear about it. It's not an illusion. There's really a bouncy or, castle in the missile silo. Well, okay, yeah. You'd have to be pretty confident in yourself that that's what you're seeing. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And the people, your boss would also have to be really confident in your abilities. Right, Soviets. And I'm sure the moment you start to, like, falter in yourself, that's when it all probably starts to fall apart, right? Yeah, and your boss goes off yeah. and kills a bunny. You're probably <laughs> not in control of what you share with You made me kill not. a bunny. Look what something. you did with your bouncy houses and your circus clowns. I'll send the submarine out. I will kill more bunnies. <laughs> I'll do it. So in late 1978, General Thompson and others at the Pentagon and CIA began sending intelligence tasks to the remote viewers, such that their mission shifted from seeking intelligence weaknesses in U.S. targets to actually conducting offensive spying operations. Finally. Right? The next year, remote viewer Mel Riley accurately described and Joe McMonagle accurately sketched part of a Chinese nuclear device when they were asked to hone their abilities into a target in Lop Noor. Intelligence officials did not, as a rule, rely on remote viewing data alone to make their decisions because it remained highly controversial. That's good. Because psychics acknowledge that. But many solicited remote viewing data in order to reassure themselves of what they thought was at a given target and could verify in other ways. So they were like, we think there's a nuclear device here. And then the remote viewers are like, yeah. So they don't say that to the remote viewer, by the way. They don't come and be mm. like, is there a remote nuclear device? They just say, what's there? And if they come back and say a nuclear device, it's confirming their suspicion. Can oh, that information cool. be used to enact things, though? Like, it can't, right? No, it's, it's all about information gathering. Yeah. So the more information you have, the better yeah. off you are. You know what's up. You know what the Chinese have got and what they're doing. Ken Bell... Another psychic spy pushed into the mind of a KGB operative, pushed into his mind, who had been arrested in South Africa. The CIA wanted to know what he was up to and asked the remote viewers if and how he was receiving and sending messages back and forth to Russia. Bell went inside his head and learned that the man carried a pocket calculator that he used to code and decode messages. He sent the information on and heard that the man had, in fact, carried a pocket calculator, but that was as far as they would confirm his report. So part of the problem for the remote viewers is that they would get these like impressions, but then their sources, I mean, their partners, whoever was asking them for the information would never be like, yeah, you were right. Yeah. Oh. That's kind of, uh. I was thinking back bet- uh, between Bob and Dave. Right. I was thinking like, what if Dave did know about that place? Oh, it was just. And it was just like, oh, we see this he place. And he's like, it. oh, that's my cabin. Ha ha ha. Yeah, these guys are for real. Yeah, <laughs> but he couldn't tell them. Yeah, he couldn't tell them. This was always the case, but now they're being more honest about it. Right. They say, <laughs> we, I'm glad about that pocket calculator. You're right about that, but we can't tell you literally anything else about whether or not any of your impressions were correct. Hmm. That'd be Mc- annoying. Right? Yeah. McMonagall was asked to target a set of coordinates where American spy satellites had taken a series of suspicious photographs of a Russian industrial site on the Arctic Circle. This is really cool. At first, McMonagall's results were vague. He sensed the cold and the mountains. Okay, fine. It's the Arctic Circle. So It's a lot of that. Right. <laughs> Atwater decided to show McMonagall the photograph to try to get better results. So he said, okay, fine. Right. It's the Arctic Circle. Just look at what we're trying to view here. The second time, McMonagall saw a noisy building with large scaffolds and flashing blue and white lights like welding torches. In a third session, he saw a submarine being repaired and a larger area containing another submarine, much larger than the first, with nine or ten missile tubes. The National Security Council, who had commissioned Grillflame, scoffed at McMonagall's report. They would have known about a submarine as large as the one he was describing, they said. <laughs> oh, a giant submarine? Sure, we didn't know about that. No, we know. We would know. We would know if they had a submarine that big. They don't have a submarine that big. Also, 
the submarine was hundreds of yards inland. So they were. They said, there's no way we can get that submarine to sea. Yeah. So the Russians clearly are not building a submarine. You've imagined this whole thing. McMonagall foresaw the process of launching the submarine, though. He saw the Soviets bombing a trench from the shoreline to the building. Satellite photos taken in January 1980 confirmed his report. That's what they did. They built it 100 yards inland, bombed a trench... And then in 1980, they took pictures of two submarines docked at this station. Oh, wow. my goodness. Right? And how, how many years later was that after his, uh, his vision? It was within two years. Within two years. Mm. Still, that's ridiculous. One of the submarines that they saw was very large and had 20 tubes for missiles and a smaller sub that had been on the site for repairs. The program kept up through the 1970s and 80s, in large part because of Putov and Targ's academic rigor. They had papers published in Nature. Nature. One of the major journals... In science. Oh. Okay. Uh, that not in, they didn't have it published, like, in the forest. <laughs> they didn't stick it to a tree. No, the, yeah. The journal nature. Throw it into the sea. And they, <laughs> and they With their devices. <laughs> and they had a prestigious, they had also had a paper published in a prestigious, uh, prestigious electrical engineering journal. So these are academics who, what? by the way, give me grief. Even, like, religion scholars give me grief when I try to publish papers on psychic mediums and stuff. <laughs> but these are scientists who are, okay, cool. The remote viewing program didn't necessarily thrive through the 1980s, but it became a steady part of the intelligence structure at defense. It suffered its share of scandals. General Thompson departed as assistant chief of staff for intelligence in 1981, not because of any scandal, just because, you know, you retire. He was replaced by General William Odom, who was no fan of the paranormal. Uh Uh-oh. More damaging, perhaps, was a paranormal enthusiast in the chain of command between Odom and the remote viewers. His name was General Stubblebine. What? I'm sorry? Also known derogator- derogatively as General Spoonbender. <laughs> I would have just called him by his regular name. <laughs> Who is I don't know worse? which one's more ridiculous. So in other words, just to you know, put it, get, get a stubblebine. Stubblebine? We've got changes in the uh, command structure, and that's going to affect... Us down the line, and then not everyone's on the same page anymore. Only be in the military with that name so that no one makes fun of you. Stubblebine and become a general. Stubblebine <laughs> uh, promoted a series of paranormal projects, not all of which had the same pedigree as remote viewing, but they suffered by association. He tried to get civilian psychics involved in Stargate. Bad idea because they don't have that security clearance. He was forced out of his position after an incident involving a potential remote viewer named Doug Pemberton. While in training, Pemberton harassed a female trainer and in a separate incident stripped naked and began talking incoherently. He was taken to the psychiatric ward at Walter Reed Army Medical Center where they discovered that he had an undisclosed psychiatric condition that he was aware of but had concealed from the remote viewing team. So you're not really allowed to participate in remote viewing if you have diagnosed medical conditions. Psychiatric conditions. So that would have excluded him, uh, but as it stood, the unit had drawn negative attention to itself, and Stubblebine actually had to re- resign. So you think they would have tested him at least before, though? I, I mean, gotten a report. I don't yeah, know. Like done a test. They just took just his to word see for how it. How he's doing? He is in the military. You shouldn't lie to the military. Even more so. <laughs> he was replaced by Major General Harry Soyster, who had a perspective more like Odom's when it came to psychic phenomena. Did not buy it. Remote viewers did not seem to be improving much at their craft either, and it was painfully difficult to tell when one was on and one was off. There was an embarrassing incident in which a remote viewer seeing a car, saw a car parked outside of the Capitol building with a nuclear bomb inside during, ready for this, Savannah? Ronald Reagan's State of the Union Address. Oh, God, that's pretty 
That's a big um, yeah, that's claim. Yeah, big day. Also, this is the first time Ronald Reagan has been mentioned at all. <laughs> that is true. Well, we have been in the 70s. Now we've made it to the 80s. <laughs> okay. Welcome yeah. to Reagan. So Re- Reagan's given his State of the Union, and there's this psychic remote viewer who says, Oh, no! There's a nuclear bomb outside the Capitol! So did they, like, run him inside or something? Or, like, they were just like, They caused a stir. I don't think it interrupted anything. But it got everyone real weed up. And it turns out, no. This was likely a product of analytical overlap, or AOL. That's what AOL meant before it meant American Online. America Online. It meant analytical overlap. All of the books that I've read for this were written before AOL was a thing. So they use AOL (laughs) without any qualifiers it's just aol uh and that's when a remote viewer imagines details into the remote viewing that don't come through the viewing process itself it's when Mm -hmm. they see something like so say olivia sees a bouncy castle and then rather than continuing to remote view the site and go on to see the missile silo she lets her imagination start functioning and she sees children in the bouncy castle and she sees a circus clown walking by and whatever things that would fit with a bouncy castle when they're not actually there Mm. yeah you're using your imagination rather than using the remote viewing process so that's basically what happened when they saw the reagan nuclear bomb in 1984 and 85 putoff and jack verona head of the dia's scientific and technical intelligence directive brought the program to members of Congress, the White House, the Navy, the Air Force, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the NSC, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the DEA, the Secret Service, Customs, the Coast Guard, and various other military agencies because they were about to be defunded, and an unnamed Pentagon source offered $10 million to keep them going. Wow. Its clients were increasingly interested, however, in search problems, which were the hardest to solve. So these are not the same as the problems we've been talking about so far. Everything we've talked about so far, or for the most part, has been there is a target, the target is at these coordinates, tell us about it. Or here's a photograph, tell us more about what's at this photograph. Now they're coming to them and saying, we can't find this thing. Where is it on Earth? Oh, oh, that's okay. So that's going to set stuff back a little ways, maybe? Incredibly difficult to do. (laughs) Yeah, remote viewers were never very good at this. They were good at the first thing, the thing we've been talking about. They're not good at this other thing. That's really... Search problems. Yeah. So they asked for the location of drug-carrying ships, terrorists, fugitives, on and on. Remote viewers were, again, much more successful at working with defined coordinates than searching for the needle in the haystack. They could see what was at a location if they knew the location, but they couldn't necessarily conjure coordinates themselves. And so the request for searches lowered their success rates a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Because they're keeping track, it's the military, of their success rate, which was doing really well. Mm -hmm. And now all these search problems are coming in, and it's not going so well. Funding and support continued to decrease, particularly because, thank you, Reagan, the Cold War was drawing to a close. What a guy. Right. He single-handedly, through his manliness, brought the Russians to heel. That's that. the good old American strength that I love. Yeah. Oh <laughs> right. Personally went after all the psychic birds. I mean, maybe that's how he helped. He, per- is- he's... He killed every single bird on Earth and replaced it with spies. He roboticized them like in Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Just like that. The program survived to be used sparingly during the Gulf War, but was eventually shut down with interest in remote viewing, never rising sufficiently after the end of the Cold War to sustain it. So, could have been Bush or Clinton. Gulf War might have survived the Bush years into Clinton. The Bush one. 
that not pushed long? it. Yeah, it made it into. I guess it made it into Clinton. There That's it is. like a while. And yeah. so he def- defunded our sp- uh, psychics. Well, I were... think Clinton did. Yeah, it was a Democrat after all. We're all a little, a little let down. Thought the progressives would be on board with psychics, but at that point it was probably like you said, like in their success rate had been going down consistently. Yeah, and it wasn't just psychic spies. It was in part that we didn't spies generally were being defunded as the right. Cold War yeah. drew down. So didn't have that. Oh, this, you worse. know what the Soviets are doing? No, they, I don't think they're Those hurting anybody right now. Gulf War spies. <laughs> It's time for me to get to the moral of today's episode. And in mm. fact, the moral of our entire warfare series. Well, I don't know. <laughs> the, war, the moral of some of our warfare series. So despite its ultimate de- demise, for me, the important lesson today is that the CIA and the U.S. military were willing to invest millions of dollars in psychic spying over the course of two decades. This is a remarkable endorsement from major institutions at a time period that is too recent to be dismissed for its lack of scientific understanding. We talk about the 19th century a lot. Yeah. We're like, oh, those benighted fools of the 19th (laughs) century with their hoop skirts. But here we are in like in 1980, 1990. We're wearing plaid and shoulder pads and we know a bunch of science. We're like about to be born, man. (laughs) We're all about to be born. Yeah, yeah, you guys are about to be born. So (laughs) we missed all of it. This work was being run and promoted by physicists who successfully published on their research in major academic journals. Careful, intelligent, pragmatic people saw the certitude of the mind's ability to function beyond the physical limits of the body. To, deg- to the degree that they attempted with some success to utilize it for top-secret intelligence operations. Right now, I feel like we're in a moment where there's a contingent of people, a growing contingent, that just think this is all nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But come on. Right. Come on. Yeah. Physicists, generals, these are the people who endorse psychics. The history of Stargate offers a counter-narrative to the popular conception of psychic ability as a con intended to separate fools from their money. John Oliver, who I love, the New York Times, who I generally enjoy. Okay, we have, it's a love-hate relationship. Have both focused attention recently on psychic mediums, making the case that they are all liars and leaving little or no room for the possibility that there could be genuinely gifted people despite the presence of frauds in the culture. Serious people laugh at the idea that sensory input could come from any source other than their five physical senses. But psychic ability is, according to the CIA and the U.S. military, a verifiable fact that really has only fallen out of their program because of the end of the Cold War. Well, why develop something that you can't really defend against? Right? Well, you can with the uh, bouncy houses. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> but then you got to look at all these extra expenses. <laughs> why do you get a bouncy house? Right. And you got all the, like, privates in there bouncing around. You going to explain that to your superior? The... What is it? What's the, the the pointy part of the gun? The bayonets, which apparently I believe they still have on their guns. <laughs> their bayonets, bayonets are, are... Keep poking holes in the bouncy house, and they have to patch them. Okay, so let me get to the... We're getting to the moral, right? Yeah. The question becomes, how do we account for this discrepancy in our culture? The New York Times and HBO are saying psychics are nonsense. But the military said they're not. Psychic ability is, by definition, outside the mainstream. 
not everyone possesses it, which we've heard, right? Mm. The sense itself, unlike sight or touch, is not a regular part of how we go through life. And we only reach out to it when we ourselves are at our limits, outside the mainstream of our own experience. In the Cold War, the dark shadow of secrecy cast by the Iron Curtain drove intelligence agencies on both sides of the simmering conflict to enlist extreme aids in their effort to find out what the enemy was up to. Psychics became a viable option, because we were at the end of our rope. The same can be said for individuals searching for missing children, or soliciting the help of psychics or people who have lost to, to help people who have lost loved ones, or to attempt to bridge the separation caused by death through the help of a medium. In every case, we're at an extreme. We're at a loss. We don't know what else to do. And so we turn to the extrasensory. These extremes at the outer limits of human experience occupy a small segment of life or impact a small segment of the population. And so the drive to psychic advice conjures doubt and derision from the masses who, as a rule, can identify with these extremes. Most people haven't lost children, right? Most people are not military generals trying to peer behind the Iron Curtain. It also invites fakers and the self-deluded, rocked by the uncertainty that comes from living along the edges of mainstream experience. Mm. But that doesn't mean that the real thing doesn't exist. If we ask the government, perhaps the Russian government as well, psychics do exist and are capable of remarkable, verifiable visions. But since this is outside the limits of we experience in our day-to-day, -day, we're likely to dismiss it or forget it. That is, until the start of our next series, here on Occult Confessions. Ba -da -bang. <laughs> no. No, I watched that John Oliver report, actually the other night, which oh, yeah? was really weird. It just popped up on my YouTube. And um, it was a really good report, but it did kind of hurt watching it, being like, he's not acknowledging that it could possibly, some of it could be real. He's right, those people are fakers and liars. But yeah. there are not fakers and not liars who... I get, but I guess it's easier because he was trying to prevent people from being scammed. Yeah. So I guess right. it's easier to just yeah. be like, none of it's real, don't do it. Which is like, don't buy any of that crap, but it's okay to think that some of it could be real, I guess. I don't know. There's Unless like, you're the CIA, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of missing person cases that have been solved just through police finally being like, I guess we'll try a psychic. Yeah, it happens. There's like a documentary on either Netflix or HBO about that. It's called Psych. Oh, was it? <laughs> no, you can just as easily TV show. find oh. cases of people who consult psychics and they get bunk right. advice, or, or they don't get anything. I, I spent some time, I listen to as many podcasts as I can, because we do this, and I've spent some time listening to the Missing Persons podcast, and almost always some psychic comes in. And sometimes, you know, my, I listen to them with my wife, she's into this stuff. She's not listening to this, this podcast. That's what I say. No. <laughs> She listens to those podcasts. And sometimes the psychics say things, and I'm like, that's amazing. But it still doesn't answer the question. Mm. So there you are. All right, let's, uh, let's close this one up and move over into our order of confessors. All right, Olivia, let's uh, hear all about this reptilian business, this cult. So you, you have looked into this. What do, you, what do we want to know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a got, lot of detail. Wait, do you have you answers? I, well, I mean, I don't know why I know, yeah. Yeah, tell what us, what what, what does his what reptilian you know. belief uh, so inform his suicide? They were both a part of this. She says it's not a cult, but it was like an online cult done by this YouTuber. Her name was Sherry Schreiner, I believe. She was in charge of the cult. Yeah, well, okay. she had this YouTube account, so she says it wasn't a cult. It's just a bunch of her like it's fans. Just YouTube. 
Yeah. That's she, what we say about this podcast. You can, <laughs> well, you can look her up on YouTube, and she just has insane videos on, like, reptilian theory. It, not even in a way that I would entertain. <laughs> oh, really? It's yeah. beyond you. Well, she, That's deep stuff. She ended up turning against the girlfriend, basically, because the girlfriend made a post about liking steak tartare, basically, and, <laughs> and, and like liking exotic food. But Sherry Schreiner would say that raw meat, that's a sign of reptilian. So oh, she, so she believed that the, gr- she thought the, girlfriend, the girlfriend was, a, was reptilian, a reptilian. So she kept trying to tell the guy, Mineo, Mineo, I don't know how to say his name, his last name, but she kept telling him, like, you got to get away from your girlfriend. And the guy was like, no, like, they were together for so long that, um, and she had kids. So they called each other husband and wife, even though they weren't married. Wow. Mm. So he was like, stay away from my wife. And they ended up separating from the online cult, but they were getting so harassed by, like, the girl was constantly, the followers were coming at her because they were all like, you're a reptilian. So now, I'm pretty sure Sherry Schreiner, I I couldn't find this, but I think, I thought that she died. I'm pretty sure she died, like, a year after he died, basically. But I don't, I'm not sure exactly, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure. But you can still look up her YouTube videos. But she claimed that, like, she had nothing to do with it, obviously. But... I still don't understand why he killed himself. Yeah. So. They were being harassed. The girl, what's tricky is the girlfriend. I was looking at like a bunch of her statements. And one of the things that was really important to the case was like, this girl didn't have any prior. She was like a mom of three. There wasn't, she even in the 911 call, like straight up said, like, I shot my boyfriend. Mm. He had a gun to his head. She made it sound like, I guess he was bipolar, or she was bipolar, or they both... Someone was bipolar and was off their meds, is what I read so in another involved. article. But I don't know. That's only one article that I see that. So this was but, just sort of like exacerbating the situation. Yeah, she... The, the girlfriend made it sound like he was like having a breakdown, not being a part of the group anymore, like having his lady targeted, like he was like losing his mind. She said that he was teaching her how to use a gun for her own protection, like against mm. people, and mm. like from... The Shrinerites is what they call themselves, I think, the followers of Sherry. But, yeah, and then he was, like, teaching her and then turned the gun on him and then made her pull the trigger is her story. But Well, there you go, Jenica. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for for that interesting tale. Yeah. That's sad. That is sad. Third-degree murder is what she got charged with, the Mm. lady. But, But, yeah, the Sherry, I'm pretty sure, is dead, so... All right. <laughs> I don't know. All right. I got to say, we have had an excellent response from our confessors in the last yeah. two weeks since we finished, uh, I think it was the combination of the Crowley episode and then mm. the Magical Battle of Britain. And I, I think this is going to be a great conclusion to those the, the series and to those episodes. But we've been hearing from so many people. And they've been giving us so much love. Alexis Jade. Lovely. Says it both A plus and love it. Oh, is that how she spells her name? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that something? E, I like E-Lexis. that. Yeah. She's like says, elixir. Every episode was gold, she says. Aw, that's awesome. You're mm. gold. Gold is valuable. You're Girl. gold. You're gold, Alexis. Yeah. Uh, Nico, if you don't know, <laughs> finished every episode, and I love this, he sings Bree's metal rift to his friends who have no idea what's going on. He posted this on our <laughs> iTunes page. He put this all up there. That's awesome. Uh, and... Okay, so now I gotta say before we before we go on with these, I feel um, very responsible now, don't you guys? People are listening to every episode. Yeah, mm. that scares That's, me. A like little? forty hours of us. I've said some bad things. 
<laughs> I too feel like they've said something. We need to keep our game tight. Is that what you keep it? You keep, keep it, it tight. 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 Keep tight. Because we got people going through all episodes. These were not the first. These won't be the last. <laughs> I hope not. Wise now, words. don't listen to me. No one does. Oh, that's a mood, 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 That's mood. their username? Oh, my yeah. God. He, uh, and I'm listening. I'm listening. Oh, we are listening. Don't listen. And they're listening. As a fan of History and the Cult, Don't Listen says, <laughs> Don't Listen finds us both entertaining and well-researched. Oh, wow. Aww. Yeah. Very We're nice. listening. Very nice. We're listening. Eric Acton. And heard. Yes. yes. Listened and heard. Eric Acton Jr. is confirming that we have Google listeners. So we've got a couple of folks on Facebook. <laughs> Who knew? Giving us some of that Facebook love. Uh, I just have a private message for Eric. Everyone else can tune out. Demonology is about three episodes away now, Eric. And uh, we will be following that closely by exorcism. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the, the series, uh, everyone can listen now. The series, <laughs> Eric asked about that. So the series for healing is going to go a little something like this. I'm still tweaking it. Uh, but we're going to start with shamanism. Then we're going to go to Jesus of Nazareth and his hey. magical ability and healing and then we're going to go to demonology and exorcism in that order okay uh i also want to give a shout out to some friends we've heard from on instagram recently our lovecraft fan connor mckenzie's uh is gonna we're gonna have an episode for him coming up on in halloween we're gonna do a lovecraft episode also wald trom who had to pull over his car because he's found the nonsense portions of our podcast so amusing oh what? Oh. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. We're going to cause an accident. You're so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, he's I, pulling over. He's fine. There, yeah, he's yeah, just pull over. Yeah, he's, uh, now, we don't think we're that funny, but apparently... Uh, <laughs> Savannah thinks she's that no, funny. Wald Trom is... It, it, he, he's just our kind of people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's that's all it is. It's, humor is very subjective, and uh, we have we have been hearing from folks who aren't quite getting <laughs> our quirky sense of humor. Uh, Hate some, on me. It's it's just that he's our kind of people, and we're your kind of people, Wald. We're glad to have you. Also, Riley K. Jacks K. Whoa. K. <laughs> sent us a heart in our DMs. She slid into our DMs. <laughs> she slid into our DMs. Yeah. Hey, what are DMs, by the way? What direct, direct message. Direct message. Oh, I never knew you what that. I don't know what that meant. You. I know. She direct uh, messaged. Nice. Us. Uh, I know, uh, just to, to put a finer point on this, we are a quirky kind of podcast. We are. We chant at the beginning, and we talk about this, these quirky subjects. We and... chant at the end, too. Yeah, we chant all the time. Chant. Uh, so all this feedback we've been getting, it means a lot to us. We know when we're talking to you, however you find us, that we're communicating with kindred spirits, and, and that's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. p- please feel free. Reach out to us. Send us messages. Uh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to talk to all of you, Shannon and Olivia and everybody. We just love to respond. Get on our Insta and talk to us. Slide into my direct DMs. messages. Slide right on in. James is actually wearing a shirt from Dematha Catholic. It says DM right on there. Yes, it does. Don't wow. slide into their DMs. No. Ours. I mean, do it. Well, if they have DMs, I mean. I don't know. They might want to talk to you. I don't know. Olivia, get us out of here. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. We want to thank Brandon Walls for doing our brief history and playing the role of Pat Price, and also Sean Priest, who was our McMonagle today. Our Harry Potter character. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) I had to say it. Somebody is out there thinking, are they talking about the Harry Potter person the whole time? Yep. I don't even know Harry Potter that well. But and I now know that name. Thought about it the entire time. Is that Maggie Smith? Dame Maggie yeah. Smith? Yeah.
Yeah. Uh, so, no, we have not been talking about Maggie Smith. <laughs> but if you'd like actress, to imagine Maggie Smith, Maggie Smith in that role. <laughs> Feel free. Yeah. Feel she free. was phenomenal, It's by encouraged. Way. Maggie Smith is a male psychic spy in the Cold War. She could do it. We, we should work on that, that screenplay. Let's DM her. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me around the circle, Olivia Literal as usual. Bye! Captain of the table, James Kaplanges. Farewell and be safe. Oh. And Savannah Barrett, who we didn't say, was the sister of the 84th degree because we were so busy loving or fearing Reagan. I don't know what we were doing at the uh, beginning there. No, I'm... I was... I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to expose him because everybody needs to know about the genius of making birds spies, but also needs to be wary of birds being spies because the bourgeoisie is after us. Yes, those bourgeoisies. Of which we are not a part. It's so... I had to look up what the bourgeoisie was when I heard that, because I was like, what the hell is the bourgeoisie? We should have learned it in Rob's class. Well, yeah. Illuminati. I didn't take very good notes. <laughs> so. On my bourgeoisie day. <laughs> Every day. Uh, all right, let's talk about... So I did talk a bit about the next series. We are moving on. This is the end of our Magical Warfare series. Aww. War to rest. It's been a good run. Uh, it's time to move on, though, to spiritual healing. And uh, we're, we're meaning by this term both physical healing through supernatural means and the healing of the spirit in some way. So that's why we will be talking about uh, both shamanism and uh, Jesus's healings in the Bible and exorcism and demonology. All these various ways that the mind and body can be healed using spiritual power. We're gonna do an episode on Chinese medicine as well, and we're gonna get around to some American spiritual healing, which was taking place in the 19th century, and we're gonna talk a bit about how Christian science works. Love that for us. Not Scientology, Christian, Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, it'll be a good time. So. After that, we're going to go to the Apocalypse series. That's how we're closing oh, out this year, is the Apocalypse series. That sounds fun. So, uh, lots of fun things to come. Fun. Thank you all for being with us. We are so grateful to have you as our confessors. We love you. We'll catch you next time, here on Occult Confessions.